Will you turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to 15. And you might wonder, why am I talking about this particular passage? Because frankly, the seeds for Christmas came at this particular point of time. Genesis chapter 3 is when Adam and Eve met Satan for the first time. They got into a conversation and they were deceived. They fell and they lost the grace of God. And at that moment, God knew that his son would have to come. So the seed for Christmas was planted very early after the creation of the whole universe. Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Let's pray. Father, on this yet another Christmas day, Lord Father, we ask, Lord Father God, that you become a reality in the lives of every one of us, Lord. Father God, many years back, Many centuries back, Lord Father, you planned, Lord Father, for our future, Lord Father. And you knew, Lord, that we would be lost. Every one of us would be lost if you did not come down on this earth, Lord Father. And Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. That you chose to come down as man. To suffer on this earth. To die a painful death. Father God, right now, even as we continue to meditate on your word and try to understand your great love for us, I pray, Lord, that you will open the hearts of our understanding, Lord. And as we understand what you have done for us, Lord Father, Father God, I pray, Lord, that every one of us, our level of commitment to you will be increased, Lord Father. Father, we just surrender this time into your hands. Take preeminence and be glorified, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today, as everyone knows, is the 25th of December. And the whole world is celebrating an event. Most of them haven't even begun to understand what it is all about. Christmas means different things to different people. To many to many, many people of the world, Christmas is just a time to make more money, an opportunity for big business. Statistics tells us that it is from the months of October, September, October, and November when China makes its maximum profits. The whole world is looking for these tinkles and the babbles in whatever form. And most of them come from China, whether you like it or not. 
So it's, it's a money-making venture. So for many, many, many people, Christmas is something they look forward to every year because it is a time to make money. To many other people, Christmas is just a time of eating and drinking, singing and dancing. Hospitals like Christmas because this is the time people overeat and then end up with diarrhea. And they, so they come to the hospital and then we have to pump required and not required fluids into them. It's, it's business. It's good business. But many people like to eat. I myself have loosened the belt many times at Christmas time. It's a time to enjoy the eating and the drinking. To some people, including many of us, Christmas is a time of joy. We sang it, we know it. The birth of a baby is always a time of joy and a reason to celebrate. Think of that first Christmas, more than 2,000 years back when Jesus Christ was born. His birth would certainly have brought joy to his parents. After all, Jesus was the first child in the family. And any time there is a first child, there is excitement, there is anticipation, and there is great joy. For a moment, the parents would have forgotten the difficult situation they were in. There was no room in the inn. They were surrounded by cattle and donkeys and sheep and whatnot. But they would have forgotten all of that. They had traveled a long distance, but the pain and the weariness of travel they would have forgotten because right there in their hand was a newborn baby. And that's joy. So to many people and to many of us, Christmas is a time of joy. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, we read the angels declaring to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. In the darkness of night, in the midst of their routine living, the birth of Christ made a difference. They went immediately, and having met the newborn Jesus, they became the first evangelists. That's recorded in Luke chapter 2, verse 17. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning this child. They were the first evangelists. But there was great joy. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, we read, The wise men rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw the stars stand over where the child was. The wise men rejoiced with great joy. The shepherds rejoiced with great joy. The parents rejoiced with great joy. And therefore, for many of us also, Christmas is a time of great joy, doubtless. To some people, again, including many of us, Christmas is a time of worship. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 states this. The wise men fell down and worshipped him. The wise men traveled great distances. 
they followed a star. And they rejoiced when the star stood still, for they knew they had found the king of the Jews. And when they met him, they fell down, they bowed down, and they worshipped him. Remember, kings were used to being worshipped. But these were kings who now worshipped the king of kings. So for many of us, Christmas is a time of worship. But let's also remember that even as they worshipped, those wise men, sometimes described as kings, sometimes described as the, mag the magi, okay, whatever terms you want to use, they did something which was very crucial, and I think we shouldn't miss it. And that is simply this. They offered the best they had. They came with the best they had. They didn't come and then search for a gift to give to the king, to the newborn baby. They brought presents, presents of gold or frankincense and myrrh. These were either costly metals or costly herbs. Yes, they may have different significances, but they were costly. So those wise men knew that when they came to see this newborn baby, they were coming to worship a king, and they did not come empty-handed. They came with the best that they had. The gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. So once again, to many of us, Christmas is a time of worship. Again, to some people and to many of us, Christmas is a time of peace. Luke chapter 2, verse 12 says, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. The angels announced that with his birth, Jesus had brought into a strife-filled world the character of peace. Peace did not mean, and it doesn't mean even today, peace does not mean absence of war. Peace does not mean lack of physical violence. That's always existed, that exists today, and that always will exist. But the peace that we get from God and the peace that we have when God comes to reside with us is an internal peace. A quiet understanding that all is well with me and my family. All is well with me and my neighbors. All is well with me and the world around me. In other words, the peace of God helps me to maintain a beautiful relationship with God and with man. It's my internal peace. It doesn't matter if this whole edifice around me is crumbling. It doesn't matter if the world around me is going chaotic. It doesn't matter of peop if people are being massacred left, right, and center. But just knowing that God is in me is peace. And so to many of us, Christmas is a time to remember it's a time of peace. But there is something else about Christmas, something more important, and that started with Genesis chapter 3. Christmas is actually a time when God declared war. Now, let me say that again. Christmas is a time when God 
declared war. For many years prior to that, prior to Christmas, prior to the time when Jesus Christ was born as a little baby in a manger, God's people were suffering atrocities. They fell in the Garden of Eden. And ever since that, Satan had always orchestrated that the people of God would suffer and suffer and suffer and suffer, and they would not return to him. They may return to him for a season, but then they will fall back. They would go and do the wrong things. They would idol worship. They would say the wrong stuff. And then they will fall. And this was going on and on. And the devil was laughing and gloating and saying, I've got this world in my hands. We sing a song, isn't it? That the whole world is in the Lord's hands. But Satan was very well talking and saying, no, I've got the whole world in my hands. Even God's people don't recognize him. Even God's people did not want him to be their king. They wanted man. A man who is under me to be their king. All is well with me, said the devil. And at one point, God decided. God the Father and God the Son got together and said, it's time to put a, a stop to this nonsense. Okay, the devil has had a long enough run. We have given him a long enough rope, so let's go and hang him now. And so, God decided, it's time to declare war. The devil has been deceiving my people. It's time to stop the devil. The devil has been killing people. It's time to stop the devil. The devil has been doing all kinds of things against my people. It's time to stop the devil. And that's why Christmas. And therefore, the title of this evening's message, what I call the Christmas message, is simply this. Christmas, a declaration of war. Turn with me to Numbers, chapter 24, verses 15 to 19. Now remember, Numbers is the fourth book of the Bible. So what I'm going to read now has been written very early in the life of the Bible. Numbers, chapter 24, verses 15 to 19. And I shall read it from the New King James Version. So he took up his oracle and said the utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And Edom shall be a possession, Seir also, his enemies shall be a possession, while Israel does valiantly. Out of Jacob one shall have dominion, and destroy the remains of the city. Now can anybody please tell me that these are words of peace? It is words of destruction. They talk of war. It is time to destroy all the guys who are against God. And who's going to do it? Prophesied in Numbers, 
that one shall come in the future. And that is the Messiah. So Christmas was an actualization of a prophecy that has been repeated multiple times. So often we quote, we quote Isaiah. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9 are so often quoted in terms of the birth of Christ. Okay, but we can keep going backwards. Genesis 3, 14 and 15 talks about how Jesus Christ will bruise the head of Satan. So it was given as early as then that there would be a time that we are not going to pussyfoot around with Satan. God said, it's enough. He's been playing havoc long enough. Now is the time to stop it. And so Jesus Christ had to come on this earth. It was a declaration of war. Historically, you will see that the birth of a person is recognized only if he or she has done something worthwhile during his or her lifetime. Nelson Mandela's birthday, 18th July, is celebrated as World Freedom Day just because he was able to overcome the tyranny of an oppressive government and still stand victorious at the end of it all. Nelson Mandela was not recognized as a great man the day he was born. He had to live for many years in a prison, Robbins Island. He had to take a stance against the tyrannical government, mobilize people, before he was recognized as a great man. Mahatma Gandhi's birthday, 2nd October, is celebrated as the day of nonviolence simply because of his success in using the concept of nonviolence as a weapon to free India from the clutches of the British. He was not born great. Nobody recognized him as a student. Nobody even recognized him as a, as a lawyer. Probably the only worthwhile thing that happened was he got thrown out of the train in South Africa. But he got recognized into who, he, who we call him now simply because he was able to mobilize a nation through a concept of the principle of nonviolence, which was unheard of at that point of time. So people are remembered, are recognized only for something that they have done worthwhile during their lifetime. But more than 2,000 years back, another baby named Jesus was born. At his birth, at his birth, God gave him a task that was embedded in his name. His name is Jesus. Matthew 1.21 tells us that the name Jesus means he will save his people from their sins. You see, the day he was born, the task was already laid on his little shoulders. He would go through a period of 30 years to be trained to walk those three final years on earth which finally culminated on the cross. 
And that's a lesson for us. We need to start small. We don't become big people suddenly. God could have done it. God could have brought an adult 33-year-old Jesus Christ the day before he was to be crucified. He could have had a meal with his, with, well, 12 people. Gone up to the cross and hung there. Maybe whistled a song or sung a song, whatever. God could have done it. But that's not the way God does things. He said, you need to start as a child. Go through everything that everybody has gone through. Live on this earth. Train, qualify, be, learn everything that needs to be learned. Experience joys, experience hardships, experience suffering. Experience pain, experience hunger. And then came the victory. So for many of us, that's a lesson in the sense that we need to start small. And it's God who takes us far. So Jesus had his task given to him the day he was born. He will save his people from their sins. It was not a task which was given to him when he became 30 years old. It was a task that was laid on his shoulders the day he was born. And then he did a lot of things. Of course, we don't have a record of uh, his early days, his teenage years, yeah, young adulthood, etc. But from 30 to 33, we knew from the, we know from the word of God, he walked on this earth, he did a lot of things, he healed a lot of people, he raised people from the dead, he drove out demons, he preached mighty sermons, he did a lot of stuff. And finally, at the age of 33, as he hung on that cross in Calvary, he uttered these immortal words, three words, it is finished. It is finished. The question we have to ask ourselves is simply this, what is finished? When he said, it is finished, what is finished? English teachers will probably tell you that that's a wrong statement. Jesus probably didn't know his English very well. Okay, it is finished, it does not mean anything. So the question we really have to ask is, what is finished? The simple answer to that question is Jesus finished the tasks he had been sent to accomplish. Whatever were the tasks that he had to accomplish, he accomplished it. And his final accomplishment was on that cross. But it had to start 33 years earlier as a little baby born in a manger. Luke 19, verse 10, says this. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 to 15, says this, and I'm reading it from the New Living Translation. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. 
He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. In this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. Now, if this is not evidence of war and the victory of Christ in that war, what else is it? Somebody please educate me. As I understand it, every word of scripture tells us that there was a war to be fought. Jesus fought that war and he was the victor. There is no other victor. And you have a victor only when you have a battle. There is a loser and there is a victor. Jesus Christ is the victor. Because it says here, in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. But there were different aspects of this war that Jesus fought. That's what we are going to look at over the next 15 minutes. Different aspects about this war. Because many of these aspects are, are issues that we are battling with. And we need to recognize that we don't need to battle these battles alone. Because Jesus Christ has already won the victory. So you don't have to fight it again. All you need to do is turn to the Lord and say, you have done it. Let me just experience that victory. And you experience that victory. Okay. But the devil, who is an expert at the issue of deception, he deceived Eve. That was the first thing he did. He continues to deceive us. And he continues to deceive us believers by saying that you have still got this problem. You have still got this issue. You have still got that thing. You have still got that thing. While if you actually take a step back and look at those problems, you say, no, that's not a problem. Christ has already won victory over that issue. Is that a problem? No, Christ has already won victory over that issue. So is that a problem? No, Christ has already won victory over that problem. So where's the problem? Okay, let's not be deceived by the devil. So let me just highlight to you some of these aspects of war. Number one, Jesus declared war on darkness and the powers of darkness. Matthew 4.16 says, The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. John 3 from verse 18. There is no judgment awaiting those who trust him. But those who do not trust him have already been judged for not believing in the only son of God. Their judgment is based on this fact. The light from heaven came into the world, but they loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. They hate the light because they want to sin in darkness. 
They stay away from the light for fear their sins will be exposed and they will be punished. But those who do what is right come to the light gladly so everyone can see they are doing what God wants. So Jesus declared war on darkness. He said, let there be light. And he declared war on the powers of darkness. The devil likes to keep people in darkness. He keeps them in their sinful state because of the darkness around them. The people do not see the sin that they are committing. And ultimately, this leads them to eternal damnation. John 1.5 says this, The light shines through the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. In science, there is no definition for darkness. There is a definition, there is a measure for light. That's why you buy a zero, a 20 watts bulb, a 40 watts bulb, an 8 watt bulb. It's got a measure of brightness. But there is no measure for darkness. So how do you define darkness? Absence of light. Full stop. Even if there is a 1 watt light burning, you're not in darkness. Because you can see. You can see where the chair is, you can see where the table is, you don't have to stumble. So even if there is a little light in your life, you can identify things. So darkness is not defined. Darkness is simply an absence of light. So if you and I are living in darkness, it simply means we do not have light in our life. Where is Christ? Christ is the light of the world. Number two, Jesus declared war on spiritual blindness. Jesus declared war on spiritual blindness. John, 3, uh, John 9, 39. Then Jesus said, I have come to judge the world. I have come to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they are blind. Jesus wasn't talking about physical blindness. Yes, we know he healed people who are physically blind. But that was not the blindness God is referring to here. Jesus was referring to spiritual blindness. And so that is something we need to look at. Maybe physically we are fine. But are we spiritually blind? Because Jesus came to set us free from spiritual blindness blindness. That was war. It's the devil who keeps us in spiritual, under spiritual blindness. And to release us from that, there has to be a battle that has to be fought and won with sacrifice. And Jesus did it. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 4. Satan, the God of this evil world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. It's not blinded the eyes. It's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. The good news that Jesus Christ has come and you have a way out. 
they don't understand the message we preach about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. At Christmas, Jesus declared war on spiritual blindness. The devil most certainly does not want anyone to know the good news. But Jesus said, it's time to reveal the good news. Many years back, the first people to do that were the shepherds. Today, you and I are called to be evangelists. You don't need to have to be called evangelist so-and-so. If you are a born-again believer, you are automatically authorized to be an evangelist. The shepherds did it. Gladly they went and told what they had seen. Number three, Jesus declares war on bondage. Colossians chapter 1, verses 11, the second part of it, to 13. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father who has enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven all our sins. You and I were under bondage. We couldn't move. We couldn't fight our way out. Whatever we did, we were going deeper and deeper into that miry clay. But Jesus had to come and die and sacrifice and shed his blood. That was the price he paid. And with that price that he paid, he released us from bondage. So why do we, some of us, like the pig, return to the pigsty? Or the dog to its vomit? And we to our sin? You have been taken out from there. You and I have been bought. We were slaves. The slave price has been paid. You and I are free. Why do we go back to that slave market and say, I wish I was back on that platform? For what? For exhibition? Try being a slave. Number four, Jesus declared war on pride. Matthew 20, 28. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, Master of masters, you put any superlative you want. What did he say? He came here not to be served, but to serve others. It's, where is pride? It's a some, this is something so easy for us to understand. 
but yet so difficult to practice. How often have we grumbled when we have not been exalted or publicly appreciated for something we might have or might not have done? How often we find it difficult to play second fiddle to someone else, either in the office or even in the church. We always want to be number one. But somewhere in the Bible it says, the first shall be last. Don't forget that. It's not my words. It's there in the Bible. Search it out. Actually, the humbler you become, the higher God will promote you. Look at Moses. He was a very humble person according to God. He didn't say he was humble. Okay, it doesn't say anywhere in my Bible that Moses said he was humble. Okay, neither did his brother Aaron or his sister Miriam say that my brother is humble. It was God who said, Moses, the most humble man. Can you and I get that certificate? I have heard people, I'm, I might have said it, I don't know. Knock me on my head if I've said it. I'm a humble person. That means you are not a humble person. Or the next thing we say, Pastor Abraham is a very humble person. That means I want something from Pastor Abraham. Because Pastor Abraham should not look for those words from me. I am a sinner, just like him. I'm just a man, just like him. Or let me modify that statement. I was a sinner. Okay? But I'm a man just like him, with human failings. But if God says that, that is a certificate. That is a certificate that we need to cherish. Moses, the very humble person, but the man who led a million people. Okay, that's what. So God, Jesus declares war on pride. Remember, Satan was in heaven. He knew, uh, he knew Jesus long before Jesus came to earth as a baby. They both were together in heaven. Huh? Long, long time back, long before the earth came into existence. Remember, if you go to Genesis 1-1, before that, the earth was chaotic. Okay, there was chaos all over the place. Before that, Lucifer was the praise and worship leader in heaven. So he knows Jesus from that time. Okay, you don't need to introduce Satan to Jesus. Or neither do you need to introduce Jesus to Satan. They know each other. So Lucifer, who was up there, suddenly decided to be like God. Pride. What happened? Thrown out. God's answer is very simple. You have pride, get out of the kingdom. You and I have pride, Get out of the kingdom, that's all. Take another one-third of the people also with you. It's okay. Okay, so God hates pride. 
and Jesus declared war on pride. Number five, Jesus declared war on ignorance. Jesus declared war on ignorance. Luke 4, 20, 42 to 44. Early the next morning, Jesus went out into the wilderness. The crowds searched everywhere for him. And when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other places too. Because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching and teaching in synagogues throughout Judea. Hosea 4.6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. NLT puts it like this. My people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Don't know me, lack of knowledge, one word, ignorance. Jesus doesn't want you and me to be ignorant. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of who he is. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of all that he has done. He doesn't want us to be ignorant of the devices of the devil. You see, the devil will do everything to prevent you from knowing Jesus. Because life is in Jesus. And the devil will try to stop you. He wants to keep you ignorant. He can give you a lot of knowledge in a lot of other things. Early in the days of uh, when I, was, when I start, started getting uh, into ministry work back home in India, an amazing thing that I recognized was this. You preach the gospel to the poor, the lowly people, the people who are uneducated, the people who come and, and just sit there with their hands like this, waiting for every word that you're saying. They think that you are a demigod because you stand with a mic in front of you. Okay. Yet when you tell them you need to change your life, they will change. But when you speak to people who come there with their ABCD, XYZ degrees, in their suits and their boots, with their hats. I don't know, I think these apparel, hat and suit and coat and all, prevents change from taking place. It keeps us rotten. They don't want to change. They think, oh, I know. I know. Last week I conducted a test in my department. And just before that I had a student who came up to me, his name is Eunice. He came up to me and said, uh, sir, what should I study? I said, the topic's been given, study that. He said, no, sir, from this page to this page, I know from here to here. And I said, okay, what about this? Did you focus? I know that. You don't need to tell me that. I know that. Okay, what about this? Do you know this classification? I know that. Don't worry about that. I know that. Okay, fine, you know everything. So, right, come for the exam. So, he wrote the exam. I just marked the paper this morning and returned it. I have four students who got 100%. I have six or seven students who got 90 and 
this boy Eunice got the lowest mark in my class, 25%. <laughs> and he goes to every teacher and says, I know. Okay, that's a problem with some of us, I know. But we don't know. You know, students will write something in the, in the answer script, incomplete. And then I give them a big zero for that. Okay, I, I enjoy giving them zeros. Okay, <laughs> I give them the zero. And then they come to me and say, but you know, I, we know it. I don't know you know it. How do I know you know it? <laughs> but you know I know. I don't know you know. This will be the type of conversation I have with my students. Huh? So sometimes if I talk to you like that, forgive me. Okay, that is my level of conversation in the college. I know you know. Okay, at the end of the day, he don't know, I don't know. Okay, that's the story. God, Jesus declared war on ignorance. Knowing a lot of things all over the place is not important. It's good to know it. There's nothing wrong in it. Okay, it's good to be aware of things. Perfect. But what is important is knowledge, wisdom that you obtain from the Word of God. Understand what God is saying. Why has God put examples? And apply that into our day-to-day -day living. And when that happens, it doesn't matter. I get the peace. I get the joy. I get I can worship God. It doesn't matter what's happening around me. All of that is automatically taken care of because I, I go by the wisdom of God. Number six, Jesus declared war on sickness and disease. Matthew 8, 16 to 17. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. All the spirits fled when he commanded them to leave and he healed all the sick. This fulfilled the word of the Lord through Isaiah who said, He took our sicknesses and removed our diseases. Day after day, week after week, we seek good health and release from sickness and disease. And so often, God has answered our prayers. God has released us. Okay, because God wants you and me to, be, to live full lives. Healthy lives, active lives, fun-filled lives. I don't know how many of you listen to the Bill Gaither Homecoming series. Okay, probably is more meaningful to people of my generation. Okay, but I was listening. Uh, I was I was listening to it on YouTube the other day, and uh, there was one song that was going on. Actually, it was a comedy with a guy called Mark Laurie there. And uh, then there were some comments written down. And people have written things like, I did not know Christianity could be so humorous. I did not know Christianity is fun. I thought Christianity was so dull because that's what we learn in our church. So you see, if people outside think that Christianity is a dull religion, it is because you and I have not shown that it is a fun-filled religion. It is life. Why do we need to be like that little rat which goes softly? No, it isn't. It is fun. But we need to live it out. Live it out rightly. 
God declared war on sickness and disease. He wants you and me to be healthy, so let's just claim that and go forward. Number seven, God declared war on compromise. Compromise. Luke 12, 49 onwards. But I have come to bring fire to the earth, and I wish that my task were already completed. There is a terrible baptism ahead of me, and I am under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. Do you think I have come to bring peace on the earth? No, I have come to bring strife and division. For now on, families will be split apart, three in favor of me and two against, or the other way around. There will be division between father and son, mother and daughter, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. Son-in-law and father-in-law is not here. <laughs> then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, When you see clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, Here comes a shower. And you are right. When the south wind blows, you say, Today will be a scorcher. And it is. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky, but you can't interpret these present times. Why can't you decide for yourself what is right? We are compromising. We are accepting things which aren't right. And we're saying, okay, it's all right. You know, we don't want to hurt that guy. We don't want to. We, we need to live at peace with everybody. And so we do the wrong things. Jesus clearly tells us that we need to take a stand. And if that does bring strife between people, so be it. But you take your stand. Don't give up on your values. You've got to be who you are in Christ. Be clear on who you believe in. Be clear as how to live a holy life. Don't take politically correct or socially acceptable stands. Don't be like a weak sapling that, winds, that bends to every wind of doctrine. It's the devil who will tell us to adjust each time. It's okay. Adjust. It's okay. You can say a small lie. Because it's, he, he will not say, call it a lie. White lie. Yellow lie. Blue lie. Green lie. I don't know. Okay, but a lie is a lie is a lie in the Bible. Parents, no white lies to your children. I've mentioned this in the past and I'll mention it again. The biggest problem I used to have when I was in India, when I go to visit some family is, they will immediately tell their child, doctor is coming, he will give you injection. <laughs> Am I some kind of a terrorist? Walk around with a syringe in my hand to go and poke everybody. And so these children will come and look at me for some time like that, you know. And after some time they'll come. And I try to be as nice as possible. Uh, I know my face is not the most uh, attractive to children, but I try to be nice. So finally the child will come up to me and say, Uncle, are you going to give me injection? I said, no, I'm not going to give you injection. Mummy, you lied. <laughs> Correct, you lied, mummy. Why do you need to tell that? No, that's the only way he'll keep quiet. Okay. I may be hurting some of you right now, okay? but I don't carry syringes, please. Okay? It's as simple as that. Jesus, my final point, Jesus has declared war on the effects of fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. James 4, 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He will flee from you, the devil. You don't need to cower in fear. The devil is a defeated foe. You are part of the team of victory. You are already on the victorious team. So put your chest out and walk as if you are a victor. One of my teachers in medical school used to tell me that, uh, you know, we had these odd definitions which had no meaning at all. Uh, and so we had this thing, you know, something called scoliosis. Scoliosis means sideward bending of the spine. You see some people are like that all the time. So that's a sideward bending. Scoliosis, I could understand. Then there's something called forward bending and backward bending. One is called lordosis, the other is called kyphosis. And I would never get that right. Till my teacher gave me a clue. So one day he walks, you know, he says, Leslie, come here. I mean, we, a couple of us were there, it's not just me. So he says, the British lorded over us. Ah, so lorded means backward bending of the spine. Right? But what do we do when the devil comes? Forward bending of the spine. You be like the Lord. Lord over the devil. Who are you? You don't have a place here. Your place is already reserved. The temperature is rising. Go there. You have the right to say that one. You, the authority has been given to you and to me to say that. So let's say it. Let's not cower in fear. God has declared war on the effects of fear. Fear is a weapon that the devil has constantly used against people. But let's remember that we don't need to stand in fear. So Christmas is a declaration of war, taking the battle directly into the enemy territory. Remember, if Jesus Christ had not succeeded in defeating the devil and standing as a victor 33 years after he was born, we will not be celebrating Christmas today. The very fact that we are celebrating Christmas and the whole world is celebrating Christmas is simply because Jesus Christ is the victor. There's no other, no other option there. So the final point is this. Now Christmas is a time of joy. Christmas is a time of peace. Christmas is a time of worship. Christmas is a time of declaration of war, and that's been our focus today. But let's not forget that Christmas is also a time of hope. It's also a time of hope. Let me read a fairly large passage, which is from Job chapter 5. The context is different, but the words have meaning. Verses, Job chapter 5, verses 8 to 16. My advice to you is this. Go to God and present your case to Him. For He does great works, to marvel, too marvelous to understand. He performs miracles without number. He gives rain for the earth. He sends water for the fields. He gives prosperity to the poor and the humble. And He takes sufferers to safety. He frustrates the plans of the crafty so their efforts will not succeed. He catches those who think they are wise in their own cleverness so that, they, 
so that their cunning schemes are thwarted. They grope in the daylight as though they were blind. They see no better in the daytime than at night. He rescues the poor from the cutting words of the strong. He saves them from the clutches of the powerful. And so at last, poor have hope and the fangs of the wicked are broken. Hope. You and I are a people of hope. It doesn't matter what's happening around us. Those are temporary. They are meant to pass. They are not meant to stay. If, are you having a problem in your office? It's temporary. Are you having a relationship problem? It's temporary. Are you having a health issue? It's temporary. Because in God, we have hope. He's always given us hope. If we didn't have that hope, we would be a lost people. So please remember that the one thing we can hold on to, joy, peace, is for the present. How we live our lives in a declaration of war is our activity. Hope is about our tomorrow. And our tomorrows are always victorious when we go in the hope, knowing that God is in charge. Brothers and sisters, as we close this day, and in a week's time as we enter into 2018, may the joy and the peace of the Lord be yours at all times as you worship Him with all your being. May He give you wisdom and strength to fight daily battles. And may He be your only hope, for He alone is the rock we can lean on. Merry Christmas to every one of you. God bless you all. Praise the Lord. Are you blessed? Let us give a mighty clap offering unto the Lord. If you are blessed indeed, understood the word, what is the message of Christmas to you today? It is something new, something greater, which you never heard in your life. That's what I believe it. Do you believe it? Yes. Indeed, God has given us the hope. All in these days, what we know about Christmas is Love, joy, peace, greetings, everything. But this is, to me, I am blessed. And that's why I say that. It is God's word to us directly. This word has to be remained in our life and it has to be followed. The word has to be shared to others as well. Christmas is not only the joy, not only the celebration, it is cautioning us and it is giving us the eternal hope. Without hope, there is no Christmas. Christ came to this world and gave us the hope for our eternity. Amen? Amen? One more announcement before we close. From tomorrow onwards, we are, doing, we are fasting for the last session or the last term of this year.
till 31st. The prayer points, the handouts are available with the ashes. Please collect one for your family. Once again, reminder, on Thursday, on 28th, we are gathering here as a Thanksgiving service. That will be a time of testimony as well, with our praise and worship and thanking God. Can we stand to your feet? Let's remember what we heard today, the last 45 minutes. Christ came to this world. Close our eyes. Recollect everything what you have heard. What is Christmas? Christmas has a meaning. To the world, it is different. For us, it is totally different. It is a refreshing time. It is a reminder. And it is a time of joy as well as to the world. And sharing a gifts and greetings. But for us, Christ came to this world to declare war against the things what we are like. War against, think about it. War against the darkness. War, sorry, war on darkness. War on spiritual blindness. War on bondages of our sin. War on pride. War on ignorance. War on, he declared war on fear, effect on fear. And also Christ came to us as a victor. Jesus Christ is the victor. He came as a human and he victor. He faced the war and he became the victor. We are the victors. Jesus overcome everything. We are more than overcoming comers on this earth. So we have to thank God for his grace. It is all because it is not by us. It is all Christ has done on the cross. Without the cross, we are not become a victor. It's a time to remember what Jesus to us, what he has done. He said it, it is finished. If we believe it, go through everything, meditate on the scripture, what we have heard today, and refresh yourself, prepare yourself to be a victorious Christian in this world so that devil will flee from you. You have the authority. Jesus came and he gave power and authority to us. With that power, we can overcome the world. Amen? Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. This Christmas is a unique Christmas to us. This Christmas, we had a new message from you. Thank you, Lord, for your servant. Our pastor. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation. 
Lord, we pray, let your anointing be upon him in abundance. Even the days to come, you reveal the truth. And Lord, you bless him and he will be a blessing to us. Father, we thank you once again for sending your only son, Jesus Christ, who is the victor over the sin, sickness, even the death of Father. But we are the victors along with your son, Jesus Christ, because of him. Thank you, Lord, for the joy. Thank you, Lord, for the happiness. Thank you, Lord, for the abundance of your blessings. More than everything, you have saved us and you made us accepted us as your children. With that in our mind, in our hearts, Lord, help us to greet one another and share this good news to everyone in this world. As you have come, Lord, before 2,000 years ago, help us to prepare ourselves to wait upon you as you are going to come as a king, O Lord. Lord, we thank you for the day. Thank you for each and every one of us. Continue to be with us. Let the word which we heard remain in our life. Thank you once again for accepting our prayers. In Jesus' precious name we pray. We'll share the grace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. As we pray, the Lord will answer. Amen.